Welcome to A Piece of My Mind, a podcast that uses storytelling to bridge divides and build community. Today I'm talking with Dr. Elijah Hayward III, CEO of the International African American Museum, being built in Charleston, South Carolina, and scheduled to open in 2022. ask people to start by telling their name and where we are sitting this morning. Dr. Elijah Hayward III, we're sitting in Charleston, South Carolina at the temporary offices for the International African American Museum. So this is an impressive undertaking you've got with this museum over here and as I understand it, it's scheduled to open in 2022. Tell me about the mission. First of all, thank you for this opportunity and for your time and interest in in our work here at the International African American Museum. Our mission is to honor the untold stories of the African American journey at one of our nation's most sacred sites. That site is the former Gadsden's Wharf, Charleston, during this transatlantic slave trade, was the single greatest point of entry for African captives in the country. So that means that nowhere else in America did as many African captives come into our nation as they did in Charleston, which in itself is uh, quite fascinating considering the size of our city, that Charleston was once the wealthiest city in the colonies um, and had a major impact in a great deal of the history that we currently consider central to the American, American story. From where we're sitting, we get to see Fort Sumter, where the Civil War started, across the Charleston Harbor is New Yorktown, a World War II battleship, and the harbor itself feeds into the Atlantic Ocean, the pathway that slave ships took to get here, passing by Fort Sumter, the first point of quarantine. So history, I've been told by many, including Secretary of Smithsonian, Lonnie Bunch, must be told where it happened. And we feel a great sense of responsibility to sharing an important part of our American story here at the International African American Museum at one of our nation's most sacred sites, the former Gaston's Wharf. What was the path that led you to doing this work? I'm originally from Beaufort, South Carolina. Both sides of my family are from Beaufort. I am someone that grew up understanding the power and importance of history. I think history offers us an opportunity to understand ourselves and our communities uh, a lot better. But there's also power in learning from the past, the mistakes, the triumphs, and uh, examples of inspiration and and perseverance in meaningful ways. So I um, am a scholar who's always interrogated these big questions, and I think that our institution offers a great way to really engage in a topic that's so important for us to really understand and get right by virtue of many of the things our nation is still seeking to heal from related to our past. When you think about that kind of inspiration, who has inspired you in your path? It's a long list. Um, I begin with my family. I was raised in a community where I had elders, including my four grandparents, who all had an integral role in shaping me to be the man I am today. And I think that their early influence 
showed me the meaning of unconditional love, but also responsibility for ourselves, for our loved ones, for our communities. And there's a notion of kind of this village approach to child rearing that I'm the product of. So everyone from our grandparents and extended family played a major role in helping me to understand this greater sense of society that I'm a part of and the importance of giving back. So um, I'm definitely inspired by my family, my grandparents. And then hearing stories about their forebears, the people that raised them, and all the traditions and the things that helped to shape them that I'm so proud to be a part of as far as just continuing that legacy. You talk about the importance of place and history being told where it happened. As I think about your museum, it feels like we're at a really pivotal point in our country's history. You know, and the the African American Museum in D.C. opened not that long ago. Uh, The Equal Justice Initiative opened up their their place uh, in Montgomery, Montgomery. And now you've got this big institution going here. What do you see happening societally that is hopeful, that's, that's possibly opening a space to have this dialogue in a better way? My colleagues and I and our board and all the thousands of people who have supported the vision for the museum feel honored to be a part of a cultural landscape that's not even domestic but also international that's related to justice. I think that the one thing that is a commonality between our institution and the ones you named are a commitment to justice and a commitment to seeking justice through exposure to information and to the past. This is a past that is pretty brutal in the sense of the injustices that people of color, namely African-Americans, the sins of enslaved people endured in this country. Um, The laws and the various ways in which liberty was stifled despite being in a nation that was built on the promise of liberty for all people but by virtue of gender and race, it's always been something that we've had to kind of work to to kind of protect in particular ways. So I think it's really exciting to have not only institutions that are committed to using education and history and institutional life to really explore and interrogate the ideas and contours of justice, but it's also powerful to have a moment in our global history where people are being responsive in a new way. I would suspect that this is not no different than the civil rights movement when families across the country were able to watch peaceful protesters being chased by dogs or hosed down in the streets and have an emotional reaction to it in a way that led people to understand that this issue of race is much larger than what they may have experienced in their own communities. The, the beauty of social media and uh, access to images is a thing that really um, has been a consistent theme, even dating back to the 19th century and the ways in which photography was leveraged in the Civil War to really allow for there to be images of what was happening in our country. In this moment, though, there's a broad coalition of people who all seem to be on board in a way that feels really exciting. Um, But it doesn't negate the, the need for difficult dialogue at times and institutions like ours and the ones you named 
to be committed to sharing narratives of our past, to hopefully offer proper contextualization, but also hope to know that there is a roadmap to a path forward that we can all benefit from as a collective society. Are you hopeful? Always. I think hope is all we have. I mean, the fact that I am the descendant of people who were brought here against their will had to figure out life in a new place that wasn't welcoming nor where they wanted to be, but yet they had something that allowed them to wake up each day hoping for something far greater. And I'm, I'm the hope, I'm the fulfillment of that hope because they had a dream to say, hey, this is not a permanent state. We can be bound physically, but our spirits aren't bound. And we can pray for there to be a future where you know the generations that will come will not have to deal with this burden that we deal with. And that's something that I think you know, the folks who marched in the civil rights movement dreamed of. Um, I think that's just the thing that people, any people from any background have dealt with any type of impression of hope for. So I think that hope is something that's important to protect, to celebrate, but also not take for granted because it's, it's easy to believe that all of these cycles of history are just the past. But as we found with George Floyd and others, they can creep back again in a way that will remind us that there's still a lot of work to do. And I'm really honored to be not only a part of a legacy of people who've been committed to that work in the cultural space, but also communities of people who are scholars and educators and practitioners and change agents from where they sit in society that feel committed to making a difference in a particular way. Talk about the work that is yet to do. What are the goals that we're aiming for now? So speaking on behalf of myself, um, Dr. Elijah Haywood III, I would say that that's a really hard and complex question to answer because um, no society is uh, perfect. But I would suspect that no citizen of America deserves to have a concern about their well-being. Um, I think that there are particular rights that we all are due as American citizens. It's, they're the rights that are found in the preamble to the Constitution. And the question is, you know, how is that Constitution upheld in a way that allows for all people to fully be able to enjoy liberty, however they deem that, through their own personal rights? And I think that what history shows us is that there have been so many amazing strides to protect these rights. And, you know, my hope is always that as a society and as a community, all Americans feel safe, feel the benefit of being able to vote without being suppressed, um, feel, you know, the, the ability to live out whatever liberty they choose on their own terms. And that race, as it has been for our country, is no longer a barrier a barrier for employment, a barrier for, you know, um, where you're allowed to live or any type of other opportunity that allows for you to advance. Um, so I think justice is really at the root of it. Um, it's something that we've definitely made strides to, to achieve and I think we're moving forward. But it only takes a mother manual to happen to remind us that race is still a big issue and that there are ideologies that really put particular communities in danger, particularly African-American community. So how do we educate um, folks, 
around understanding that we have far more in common than not, and that compassion is really an important virtue to allow us to guide ourselves and our communities towards building bridges of understanding and not bridges that, that disconnect us. Just a few feet off to your right as we sit here, they're working on the building uh, for this museum. And I'm sure uh, as that physical process is going up, you're also uh, working on the, the interpretive work on the inside. What's it going to look like? What's it going to be like when people walk into that museum? Architectural Digest has listed us among the most anticipated new museums in the world which is amazing for a city like Charleston to be listed among, I believe, Berlin and others who are also building pretty remarkable institutions. Architect Henry Cobb envisioned our building to appear like it's floating. There's not really a clear uh, entryway. Um, it's in the middle, but you don't see it as you approach the building. And I think that's a, a beautiful metaphor because, in a way, the architectural design of the building physically appears to elevate the institution, thereby elevating the African-American journey and experience that we, that we preserve and promote. So it's a veneration of, show, of sorts, of a narrative that has not been properly venerated throughout our, the course of American history. Um, it also allows for us to honor the sacred grounds of Gads, the former Gadsden's Wharf, uh, this point of entry, this place where people were separated, sold, even died, honoring the souls that didn't make it through the Middle Passage, honoring this legacy, this hope that we seek to not only interpret, but sustain for the future. So there's something really powerful about the grounds being the focal point, the building appearing to elevate, but also having such a profound testament to the sacrifices and contributions of formerly enslaved people, African captives and their descendants, um, to really drive home the fact that this notion of personhood that so many people fought to protect, sustain, and honor was never really worth the fight because it was already understood by the people who had to fight and understood by virtue of their birthright as children of God so how do we honestly, you know, reclaim what was taken in a profound way? So right next to us is an institution, um, a building, gardens, uh, 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 an uh, edifice that's going to be filled with amazing exhibits and be a, a place for discourse and connection points to do just that. And uh, we're just thrilled to have such an opportunity to do such amazing work. So I want to keep an eye on time. I always end up asking this question. It's, it's what the project is rooted in, is this notion of peace. And, and that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious in your experience, when I say the word peace, what comes to mind for you? As we see here, our, our nation's in turmoil and our world's in turmoil um, by virtue of a pandemic that has not only impacted the health of so many individuals, but also the economic outlook. Um, there are people who are, are struggling financially, they're struggling emotionally, they're struggling by virtue of not being able to connect with loved ones, but also struggling because of the lack of resources um, to buy food and to, to really 
be able to live out this notion of uh, liberty and justice that our nation was built on. And as an ideal, of course, that we're still striving towards. So it's really hard to talk about peace right now because peace is the complete opposite of what many of us feel as a society. So the question becomes, how do you fashion peace or wrestle with the idea in a moment that is the complete opposite? And I think that we look to history for that answer because throughout history, be it the women's liberation movement, be it the fight for queer rights, be it the civil rights movement, be it uh, the, 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 the work of, uh, you know, individuals in the West Coast around migrant workers for the Latinx community. There are all these touch points of not having peace, of being unsettled, and feeling disconnected from a place that you call home. So how do you fashion a temporary home in a place that doesn't feel like home yet? How do you, you know, explore ideas of permanence in a place that's supposed to be permanent, but, but it's not. <clears throat> that brings us back to where we are, you know, this place, this, this location, this point of entry for captives who brought against their will, who were ripped of their personhood despite being kings and queens in another continent and having a legacy that's far richer than our, a nation was fully, would fully understand. Um, so I would say that peace is about reclamation, being able to re- reclaim narratives, being able to look to the past as a source of hope, and being in a position to fully honor something that is far more important and impactful that can be put into words. This is what I love about this project, is that I've interviewed hundreds of people, and nobody has answered with that answer before, and that's, uh, I appreciate you sharing your voice for that. It's my honor. Is there, last question, then we'll move on to the picture. Is there a time when you've seen a good example of that sort of piece? Is there a moment in your life where you could point at it and say, aha, that, if we could do more of that, we'd be doing well? I've heard so many narratives around this, this summer of racial justice, around the work of reconciliation, that kind of thing. And so many people of color, particularly African-Americans, feel like the burden is on, on us to kind of answer that question. You know, we have to do the work. We have to figure out how we lead in this way. And to me, it has to be a collaborative effort. You know, we, we meet in the middle and we kind of join arms and hands and kind of fashion this together. And to me, um, that spirit of collaboration is really beautiful. Um, you know, I've been really in- encouraged to see the peaceful demonstrations by a broad cross-section of our nation, age, race, class, um, really coming together around a notion of justice I think is really beautiful. And, and this institution represents that. You know, we are here because there are thousands of people from all backgrounds who contributed their time and their resources and their hopes to make the museum a reality. So I would say that we embody the the very notion of this question. The fact that there is an institution dedicated to honoring the African-American journey in an amazing city like Charleston that has a past that's really complicated and challenging, but yet we're moving together in a way to envision a positive and constructive future based on history and the hope for something that's far greater than we can even explore, you know, through our, through our, through our mere thoughts 
is is an example of that form of peace that I would say is an aspiration, but it's one that I think is very reasonable, tangible, and possible by virtue of the amazing outpouring of love and support that we've experienced in this moment uh, for the museum. So you're in the midst of it. Real time. I love that. Yeah, that's hopeful. Thank you, Dr. Hill. My pleasure. Is there any last word you care to share before we close just, out? Just gratitude. You know, I think that uh, I, I imagine there are many things you could be doing for your time right now. So this project uh, appears to be one that's very meaningful to you and very important given the times you're living in. Um, so the opportunity to elevate the work of the museum through your platform is something that we're very grateful for. So thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for the work you're doing.